to the glory of God. Amen. Today in our worship we give thanks for the life and wisdom of Julian of Norwich, who lived from about 1342 to about 1416. As those of you who are completing your papers or exams for the New Testament Christology course know, there are several ways to approach the many complicated questions about the way that Jesus Christ can be fully God and fully human at the same time. And as if that weren't hard enough, how to square that circle with the words of the biblical text describing him, which the church holds as its sacred scriptures. You can, of course, do careful exegesis, and you can get great help from the early church fathers and mothers who wrestled with these same questions. Or, you can pray to Jesus Christ and be given 16 revelations or showings by Jesus Christ in person, where you can ask him all your questions and then also your follow-up questions until you are at peace with his answers. That's what happened to Julian. As a young woman, she prayed for a deeper understanding of Christ's passion the kind of understanding you would have if you could experience it with him in some way. Not only rationally, but also emotionally and even physically by means of a vision. Julian hoped for and prayed for the chance to participate in Christ's suffering through her own compassion, that is, by suffering with him this might be one of those times to say, be careful what you pray for. At the age of 30, her prayer was answered, and she was given 16 showings, as she called them. It happened just as she and those around her expected her death. She had already been given last rites. As she lay there in her bed, waiting for death, the crucifix at the foot of her bed seemed to come alive and to speak to her as Jesus Christ crucified. For a day and a half, the two of them engaged in an unusual theological and devotional conversation, and Julian was given a number of powerful images which she was able to remember vividly. She was also given her life, the pain that she had been experiencing left her, and she was filled with a great sense of joy and peace. She wrote down a short version of her showings and began to meditate on them, to pray to Christ about them, and to reflect theologically about them. Some 20 years later, she wrote a considerably longer version of them with extensive theological reflection, biblical exegesis, and advice for those others who suffered, as she did, from spiritual depression, about the continuing presence of sin in her life, even as she worked hard to live a compassionate life for Christ and towards others. Julian was an enclosed anchorite, 
I learned a lot doing this sermon. The difference between a hermit and an anchorite is that a hermit, while also a solitary, can travel from place to place. The anchoritic life is geographically bound, restricted to a single dwelling place. There were hundreds of these anchorites in medieval England. Julian spent most of her day in prayer and doing handwork, like sewing, that could be done in silence. But one window of her anchor hold, her dwelling, was open to the world outside, and through that window she was available to give spiritual counsel. She developed a reputation as a wise and gifted spiritual director, and many people came to her window to learn from her about the love of Christ. Reading about Julian and reading Julian for this sermon has been fascinating, and I strongly commend her to you. As it happens, I was able to find places where Julian commented on both Hebrews and John in dialogue with the lessons we have just heard. I hope it will give you a sense of her theological exegesis. And I should say I'm indebted to Julia Gatta for much of which I'm saying here. In her 10th revelation, Julian is explaining how she was shown along with Mary that union with God entails union with the crucified. Jesus takes Julian's imagination into his wounded side, the wound given to him on the cross by the spear of the Roman soldier, described in John 19. Jesus shows her, as she looked through the wound in his side, a fair and delectable place large enough for all mankind that will be saved. Gata comments, interpreted from the standpoint of the epistle to the Hebrews, this showing might illustrate how we now have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. In effect, Julian sees the veil of the sanctuary momentarily lifted to reveal a part of his blessed divinity. She discerns mankind safe in Christ, even though entrance into divine life and love is through a wound. So the curtain is drawn back. In Hebrews, the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies in the wilderness tabernacle that will be replicated in the temple at Jerusalem. The curtain is drawn back as Jesus pulls apart his spear wound so that Julian can see how much room there is in his love for humanity. He opens to us the new and living way through the curtain that is his flesh. Julian has brought together John and Hebrews in conversation to enable us to see how the entrance into the life and love of God happens through a wound. Julian is strongly Trinitarian in her thinking. Elsewhere, she describes a circle of compassion that springs from the love within the Trinity itself, flows through Christ, is felt throughout creation, and in those who love Christ, returns again to God. 
In our gospel for today, Jesus and the Samaritan woman have a long and life-changing conversation about the water that she thinks she is giving him, but in reality, he is giving her the water of eternal life. They go on to discuss worship, and Jesus tells her, as you heard, these words so well known to us, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. Dom Gregory Dix, known to many of you as the author of The Shape of the Liturgy, commented that this text, though often overlooked, tells us something crucial about God, that God seeks out worshipers, that God desires to be worshiped. That idea may be overlooked by moderns, but Julian was on top of it. She deals with the question of whether God suffers in the crucifixion of Jesus by reflecting on Jesus' word from the cross, I thirst, again from John 19. And she understands this thirst of Christ to be his longing in love for us, a longing thirst that will not be extinguished until the end of time when he has drawn all people to himself by being lifted up high on the cross. Again, from Julia Gata. Julian perceives that this love longing shown through Christ's thirst corresponds to an attribute of God. She says, for as truly as there is in God a quality of pity and compassion, so truly is there in God a quality of thirst and longing. In Christ, the impassable God suffers for love. Christ thirsts, and because of our union with him, we thirst too. The thirst we feel is our unsatisfied desire for God, just as Christ's spiritual thirst is God's painful longing for us. Christ's thirst is active and creative. It draws us up to God. Julian is perhaps most famous for her threefold way of contemplating the motherhood of God. God is first of all our mother because he created us. Jesus may also be called our mother because he has assumed our human nature bodily in the incarnation. Finally, Julian describes our indwelling in Christ by describing him as a pregnant woman carrying us within him for love and bringing us to birth spiritually through his labor on the cross. Later, he nurses us into maturity by feeding us, as mothers do, from the substance of his own body, in his case, by the Eucharist. So, think of Julian as you go to take the body and blood of Christ here, and especially next Sunday on Mother's Day. And also as you finish your papers, write your exams, work for the seminary in your office, or prepare for the Board of Trustees meetings, or whatever it is, remember the word of grace that Jesus gave to Julian for all of us. Sin is necessary but all will be well.
and all will be well, and every kind of thing will be well.